The reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 19. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. This is God's word. The message is this. God made man. Man followed his own way, decided to do his own thing, and in doing so, he wandered from God. God is perfect. And thus, he's just. Because it's just, people have to pay. But he also loves people. He also loves people, so he sends one who is perfect to live a perfect life and endure punishment by dying in our place. Then, to prove that everything that he said was true, everything that he did was true, to prove that he himself is God, and so that we might be able to follow in his footsteps. God the Father raised Jesus from death. And Jesus defeated death forever. That all who believe may forever have life. And that, friends, is the message of Easter. You may have heard of why you ought to believe that this thing, this resurrection, that a man dead, dying in a tomb, came to life again. If you haven't heard why you should believe that, I encourage you to head online, listen to my sermon last year about this time, which is called, Don't Be an Atheist Because of the Resurrection. You've likely heard why the resurrection is important for your future. And Paul says as much right here. It's vitally important. He says in verse 19 in our passage this morning, If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, of all people we should be pitied. People should feel sorry for us. As he says in verse 18, if that's the case, you know, those who have fallen asleep in Christ, those who are in the ground, they're at a dead end. Perhaps, though, you've heard this message about why the resurrection is important for your future, and you've wondered, hey, hey, that's great for my deathbed, but it is irrelevant to my life now. I believe this now, that Jesus died, buried, rose again, But in a moment of honesty, you'd admit that has very little impact on my life today. I don't really think about it. This response, friends, is not confined to the 21st century. We find it here in the church of Corinth nearly 2,000 years ago. And the Apostle Paul, he addresses it. He brings it up. He exposes this line of thinking. And my hope is that that we see, just as Paul and the early church saw and lived, 
that Jesus simply wasn't simply resurrected for my future, but was resurrected for my everyday life. So this morning, we're going to dive into this response that many people in this church had towards the resurrection, and then consider how it matters to our everyday life. Okay, that's where we're going this morning, a little roadmap for the drive ahead. So first, the response. One response that people in this church had that Paul was writing. So this message, I believe it, but it's really going to matter to me later. Verse 12. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Some Corinthians believe that Jesus died, was buried, his body was raised from the dead, but that's that. As far as it affecting you know, people whose bodies lay in graves. Now, that's, that's crazy talk. Not so much. It's the equivalent of saying, you know, I believe in Jesus, that he died and rose again, but it doesn't actually make any real impact, any real difference to my life. So they affirmed everything about the resurrection, just no impact on them. In other words, some had started to divorce their beliefs from their everyday behavior. And if that sounds strange, how, how could people do that? It's not so rare, is it? We, we do it every day, all the time in our lives. For instance, you may say you love your wife more than anything and believe that, but constantly coming home late, usually without a courtesy phone call, communicates something different. As in your belief doesn't line up with your behavior. Uh, one of my cousins recently went on and on to me, uh, that she despises the reality TV show, The Jersey Shore. All right, this is a show on uh, MTV. Uh, she even listed all the reasons why she believed this show was not good to watch. But now, about once a week, her Facebook status says something about Snooki or Mike the Situation Sorrentino. All right, if you don't get that, you're blessed, all right, for not having watched the Jersey Shore. It's the only time I feel like I could bring up the Jersey Shore in a sermon this year. So, <laughs> I had a woman once tell me that she couldn't stand gossiping, bothered her. She, and then she said, for example, Pastor, most of the women in my Bible study gossip. It's like, well, <laughs> so you hate it. But you're doing it right now, <laughs> telling us this. You know, beliefs, behavior. Great irony in the way we live. Paul says, you know, putting the resurrection, putting it off for some time, putting off, letting it influence our life, can have devastating consequences. Look what he says, verse 17. This is not good. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Your current everyday faith. You are still in your sins. Your present beliefs, your affirmations, they're pointless. They're devoid of any real significance. Not to mention, you're still separated from God and powerless to do good because you're still in your sins. Matters to our everyday life. And what I want us to get is this. The resurrection doesn't just matter for the present. It is the present. Listen to what Paul says elsewhere. And this is just one of the places he says this. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. But God, being rich in mercy, 
Because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. In other words, by this free gift of God, you have been saved from death. And, verse 6, raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's a past perfect tense, friends. You have already been seated with Christ. You have been raised with Christ. Which is an amazing truth. If you have trusted Christ, you are already with Jesus, seated in these heavenly places. What, you didn't know that? This is all a figment of your heavenly imagination. You're with Him. That's what it seems to say. And in one sense, it's true. It's this mystery that your position with Jesus is this. Raised. Resurrected. I don't fully understand this, but it is an amazing mystery. Somehow, if you've trusted Christ, you are already raised with Him. Why does this matter then to our lives? I want to spend the rest of this morning talking about that. First of all, Jesus is resurrected for everyday confidence. Because you have been raised with Christ and are seated with Him in heavenly places, you are not under circumstances. You are over circumstances. Does that make sense? In other words, the weight of the circumstances of your life don't have to be a weight because you are seated above them. If you've trusted Christ, your heavenly eternal status with Him is secure. Your emotions, that means, your emotions, your attitudes, your actions don't have to be dictated by every wind and every wave that comes into your life. They can be, but they don't have to be. Because of the resurrection. So when someone, it ever happens to you when someone asks you how you're doing? Do you ever feel compelled to answer by what's going on around you? To answer according with the circumstances of your life? This happens to me all the time. You know, sometimes I do want to answer this way, but there are times when I'm content, even happy, even while I'm pretty sure something's just hit the fan in my life. All right, things aren't going well. But I'm actually content. I'm happy. But someone asks me, how are you doing? Well, I guess I'm not doing well. <laughs> this has happened. My fan hitting this past week was actually this sermon. A couple weeks ago, I read this passage, all right, in 1 Corinthians. All right, join with me, if you will, into the inner sanctum of the pastor. A couple weeks ago, I'm reading this passage. You know, the sun's shining. It's beautiful outside. God's opening my eyes to all these Glorious realities. It's totally the Lord. I filled up three pages of journal notes. You know, a dove descended from heaven and sat on my shoulder. It was glorious, right? I was like, yes, this is the passage for Resurrection Sunday, all right? But this past Thursday, when I actually sat down to string it all together, I couldn't at all. It was just like, you know, you've heard of writer's block. It was a Holy Spirit block. It's like, come on. You know, it was in between study, prayer, study, prayer, nothing. So I walked in the door that evening, and my, my mother-in-law was visiting this week, asked me, how, how was your day, Rye? And all I could say was humbling, which is a terrible thing to say to someone. What are they supposed to say in that situation? Humbling. Like, ooh, yikes. Stay away from him, right? And I just answered, no, no. But that's a good thing for me. 
And the reason I answered that way is I kept trying to remind myself, really it was God reminding me, Ryan, you are over these circumstances. You are raised with Christ. You can be okay with hard things because you're with me. If I start to say, woe is me, today was terrible. I'm such a bad pastor. If I start saying these things, if you start saying these things in your own life, you start to believe them. And there's another reality. You know, sometimes we talk about being authentic with people and vulnerable. But oftentimes we talk about that in the very negative sense or in the things are bad, I'm just being real sense. But there's a sense in which we need to be authentic in a truth-telling, biblical way as well. And that's what I want to challenge us with this morning, to speak reality. When your stuff has hit the fan in your life, speak reality. Nothing truly awful can happen to us in comparison to the resurrection reality that has been accomplished for us. When you compare the two, there is no comparison. That's the true reality. And one that can give us great confidence in the midst of any circumstance. We're also resurrected for everyday power. Paul tells the same church a little bit later in the, the, the next letter we have of his to them that when he was in another city talking about Jesus, a place called Ephesus, he had all these governor, government officials that were on him. The townspeople rose up against him. The spiritual oppression in his life was darker than at any other point. And he tells them, it was if God was putting the final touches on his death warrant. He's like, oh, this is it. I'm going to be with Jesus. It's over. This is so bad. But he stops there in 2 Corinthians 1. And he encourages those people, as if not to worry, that all those things happened so that he might rely upon and access the same power God uses to raise people from the dead. The same power that God used to raise Jesus and raise people from the dead, God was calling him to rely on in the midst of difficulty. You know, every person, I think each of us, hopes to have sort of transcendent moments in our lives. Right? Moments where we rise above ourselves. Where we do more than what we thought was possible of us. You know what I mean? We all hope for this. You know, Hollywood has built storylines around this theme, right? I, mean, I can't remember the last movie I watched that didn't have you know, rising above what you thought was possible as its theme. You know, whether it was a king overcoming a fear of public speaking... Or a woman seems to me in every romantic movie I watch overcoming her fear of commitment, right? It's the transcending self. Why? Because it appeals this inner desire that we all have for it to happen in our own lives. For most of us, these opportunities to go beyond ourselves happen for most people once a decade, maybe once a year. For the Christian, they happen three or four times a day. Now why is that? Is it because we're especially blessed? In some ways, actually just the opposite. When you trust Jesus, 
God comes to live inside you, the Holy Spirit. And he is, as his name says, holy, perfect. All right, so it's no longer just you. It's a holy God inside of you. So when imperfection in the form of temptation, in the form of sin comes along, even a small imperfection, as a Christian, you start to become more sensitive to that imperfection. All right, so things that didn't seem like much before now seem like a lot because this perfect God lives inside of you. You realize things more quickly. Now, when a perfect God doesn't live in you, you're not as sensitive to occasionally, you know, uh, saying stuff about other people. That wraps behind their back. Occasionally, good natured, of course. And one of the furthest things from a man's mind is thinking it's bad doing things that men often do in private, right? They're just normal. They're natural. With God inside of you, the battle is more obvious. It becomes more clear. It becomes harder, but there's a chance for the victory to become greater. For instance, moments of appeasing the boss or standing up for what is true and just. Opportunities to help a person or to walk by and sort of pretend like you didn't see them. Secret moments of temptation where no one else will know except for you and God. Will you overcome what's natural? Stepping out to speak about your faith when it would be easier to take your lunch break in silence. Do you do what's normal, what's natural? Or can you transcend above what you thought you could be? We have all these moments where we have the opportunity to rise above what's natural to do. And as Paul says to these people whom he loved, these things happen so that you might not rely on yourself, but cry out for help. To the same God and the same power that raises people from the dead that's what you have available to you through the resurrection. That's awesome. Thirdly, we're also resurrected for everyday redemption. So we talked about these moments where you rise above yourself, where you overcome with God's power. But what about the everyday moments? Right? The mundane of life. What happens with those? Does Jesus use these a great theologian named Leon Morris once put it this way, that the doctrine of final judgment gives dignity to the humblest action. Aloeipus, the humblest action. This doctrine of the final judgment says that all will be judged. The fact that all will be judged means that all actions are taken into account eternally. To such an extent that without knowing it, the resurrection can redeem even the humblest of those actions in such a way that eternity can break in to life. So a humble action God can use to bring eternity into someone's life. I remember the look that my future wife, Katie, gave me when I was just 16 years old. We were washing uh, dishes uh, in the kitchen. She was washing, I was drying. It was a magical moment, right? Um, I don't know. 
at this Christian sports camp. And I remember this look she gave me. And to me, it was powerful. It, it communicated that there is a genuine sort of caring that doesn't involve using other people in relationships. Everything I'd experienced before was using people in relationships, people using me. But I saw that just with a look. I'm, you know, she didn't give it a passing thought, I'm sure. It was a mundane thing. God redeemed it. At that same camp, a counselor made a brief mental decision to let me skip an activity, skip the next activity and chill at this picnic table to overlook these mountains, all right? You know, it was a, it was a decision I'm sure he made. He forgot about the next morning. Sure, you can sit there. That's fine. For me, God met me in that moment at that picnic table as I wept over how I'd spent my life up to that point. And I trusted Christ. For him, just a basic decision. But God broke through eternally. I had a girl once tell me that handing her a piece of big red gum set her on the path to God. All right, seriously. All right, I handed her some big red at a church service. Yeah, I turned around, you want some gum? How you doing? All right, led her to God. By the way, that's a great advertisement for Big Red, isn't it? I should get them. We should do like a product placement thing, you know, in our services. Big Red was a difference. Divine. No, it's just a normal moment, handing her some gum. But it was just a kind act to her. I didn't even think of it being kind. A mundane action. God redeemed it and used it eternally in someone's life. The resurrection from the dead means we'll one day break through to eternal life, but it also means eternal life can break through to us now, during even the most mundane of moments. All right, I'm giving you one bonus this morning. This is a bonus. A bonus for how the resurrection can impact your everyday life. This one's free, all right? They're all free, but... It's from this passage, actually. Jesus was resurrected for everyday pleasure and glory. Everyday pleasure and glory. I received an email from a friend this past week about a dilemma that caused him actually to trust Christ. But it was confronting him. This dilemma was confronting him again. A university friend of mine was what we'd call in high school an all-American kind of guy. All-American kind of dude. In other words, he was smart, Good-looking, clean-cut, loved his mom. Some of you are thinking, all-American, was he rude and insensitive as well? Yes, I can make fun of Americans because I'm from there. But he was a fantastic baseball player in high school. One day, you know, he and his teammates were on a bus, driving back from a game, just kind of hollering, enjoying themselves, cutting up, laughing together. It's been all these years playing baseball together. It was a senior year. And one of his buddies said, Man, guys, are we ever going to have this much fun again in our lives? Now, this question was a passing comment for most people. But it floored my friend. Absolutely floored him. He lived to enjoy life. And he had a zest for living. One of these happy-go-lucky kind of guys. Always loved to laugh. And he wondered, has my enjoyment of life? Is my happiness, is this the peak of it all? Is this as good as it gets? It kind of started to depress him a little. 
At this time, he was often also thinking a lot of thoughts about God. You see, he, he kind of hazily believed in the existence of God. And he said he always thought, if there is a God, he would definitely have his way with him. Alright, eventually if there is a God, he's going to make me serve him, right? He's eventually going to make me glorify him. Because he's God. And he kind of felt like, at this retreat he went on, at the end of his senior year, he kind of felt like he was faced with a choice. Either you glorify God, on the one hand, or you pursue happiness in your life. All right, either you're going to serve God or serve self. Right? Serve your own joy, your own happiness. This was the dilemma that my friend faced then. It's at the core of the dilemma he faces actually today. And perhaps it's a dilemma you face as well. So this past week, I shared with my friend the same Bible verse that solved his dilemma some 15 years ago. And God used to bring him to Christ. It's the last verse of Psalm 16. Where the psalmist says this to God. You have made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Pleasures forevermore. That day, God placed an insatiable desire in my friend for a higher happiness and a more lasting joy. Namely, he placed in my friend himself. Perhaps you've always envisioned life with God as kind of being all prudish. It's full of boring rules, banal rules. It's talk and moderation. The opposite, right? The opposite of indulgence and reveling in something. In hedonism. Remember that old term, hedonism. Right? If you look that up in a dictionary, it's literally going to tell you it's the doctrine that a person's happiness or pleasure is the highest good. It's the highest good. Hedonism. Well, friends, this morning, be introduced to the reality of something called Christian hedonism. Christian hedonism. There is such a thing that living for pleasure is not only natural, it's actually placed in us by God himself. Yeah. The problem is we've settled for lesser pleasures. Lesser pleasures for sex, drugs, rock and roll. Right? That old phrase. Or something like it. Some of those things are good things. But God means to give us a greater thing. He means to give us himself. And friends, to lose oneself, to die to self, to lose oneself... And glorifying and exalting and praising God. To lose oneself in that, there is no higher pleasure. I'm telling you, there is no greater pleasure in life, here or beyond. Our pleasure and God's glory are actually inextricably linked. As one pastor, one of my favorite pastors, guy I tremendously respect, John Piper put it, God is actually most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. That's when He receives the most glory. 
We find that satisfaction in him. Where do I get all of this in this passage? Remember, I said I got this from this passage. Read with me in verses 13 through 16. We're going to see a quick example of this. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. If Christ has been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. It goes on to say, look at me in verse 16 here. If the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. First of all, the resurrection of Jesus is the historical event that brings more glory to God than any other event in history. It's the resurrection. Why is that? Because the resurrection reverses the course of all history. All history as we, as our ancestors have experienced it. All history leading to death and decay. Now we see it all around us. I saw it this weekend in a slowly dying printer, church printer, that finally died. All right? I mean, it just decayed in front of me. I'm dead. Happened to me yesterday. Perfect timing, right? You know, we see this all around. We see it in our medical records. We even see it when we look in the mirror. If you don't have Botox. Right? <laughs> decay. It eventually happens. And it leads to death. It's all around us. It's the natural consequence for man's first rebellion against God. And it's now replaced by God's great consequence of a perfect man defeating it. Death dies through Jesus. If there is no resurrection, history continues for all of us the way we've always known it. But Paul says there's something that could invalidate, that could disprove the most glorious event in history. The resurrection. Is it finding Jesus' body near the empty tomb? Look, it's a fake. No. Is it discovering some evidence, some document that shows that the disciples were all mad, whacked out? No. According to Paul, it's a surprising truth that if you who trust Jesus don't one day physically rise from the dead, his resurrection is a sham. In other words, if God's glory is not also for our greatest good, the whole thing is a crock. God meant it that way. Paul says three times in just four verses. He makes sure to book in this section, just in case we miss it, right in verse 13 and 16. He says, look, if there's no resurrection of you guys, Jesus hasn't been raised. And he says it again, same thing in verse 16. If you've trusted Christ, at your resurrection, your body will be changed. No more disease, no more pain. Only pure, white-hot joy in his presence. The greatest pleasure we'll ever know is inextricably linked with God's most glorious act in history. You see that? God never thinks of the two as separate. They are linked together for the greatest moment in His history and in our history and for the dailiness of our life. So friends, you may wonder today, as you may wonder in your everyday life, as I've often wondered, should I pursue my own happiness, my own pleasure, or be sure to follow hard after God? The answer is yes. Let's pray. Father in heaven, 
You raised Jesus not just for our future, although you did for our future, and we are incredibly grateful. We're incredibly grateful that one day we'll be able to put this life behind and the difficulties and the trials and the uncertainties and faith will become sight when we behold you, Jesus, for eternity. Your word says when we do that, we will be changed and become like you for we shall see you as you are. But in the meantime, Lord, we're here on earth. You've put us here. And this resurrection can help us glorify you and love others. This resurrection can give us power to go beyond what we thought we were ever capable of. This resurrection can redeem just the everyday moments of life, the things we don't give a second thought to, you can use. This resurrection gives us great confidence that we don't have to have our feelings, our attitude, our lives dictated by circumstances. We are raised above them. Finally, Lord, the resurrection reminds us that we can live for pleasure and glorify you because they are the same thing. To lose ourselves in glorifying you is the greatest aim of life. And it's also the greatest pleasure in life. Remind us of that for our everyday lives as we go from here today. In Jesus' name, amen.